0: message tonight from Galatians 6, 1-6, the title, The Progression in Grace. Progression in Grace. There are a number of you who often take notes, and this is an immensely practical passage of Scripture. And this would be an excellent message on which to take notes, for it will be very useful to you in your growth in the Christian life. Galatians 6, the first six verses, I'd like to read these as we begin. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man establish or prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in his own life, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him who is taught Communicate unto him who teaches all good things. The Word of God describes the Christian life in many ways. It describes it often from nature in illustrations that we can easily understand. In Galatians chapter 5, just preceding this passage, the Christian life is described as fruit like a cluster of grapes The fruit of the Spirit, the product of the indwelling life of Christ, is seen as the fruit of the vine. In John chapter 15, Jesus describes the life of the Christian in relationship to God as the relationship between the tender branch and the strong vine of the grapevine. In Matthew chapter 5, The Christian life is likened to salt and to light in that it preserves society and it gives light to the world. In Matthew chapter 7, the Christian's life is likened unto a good tree that brings forth good fruit. In John again chapter 12, the life of the Christian is seen as it uh, relates to the seed that is planted in the earth and when it has been hidden in the fertile soil it first germinates and then it sprouts and then it grows to maturity. Now here in this chapter of Galatians Paul describes the Christian life in practical terms but like unto John 12 in that in Galatians 6 we see the Christian life as a progression in our relationship to God and to each other. Here is something that you can write down if you are writing. The principal rule of spiritual growth is this. God will not take you any higher than you already are spiritually until you obey the light that you already have. To state it another way, When you have done what you know you ought to do as a Christian, then and only then, God may reveal something new to you. God will never take you any higher than you are right now until you become an obedient Christian in the things that you know to do. Now before we get to the text, let's examine that. Don't expect to be a superhero Christian if you're not an obedient Christian. What do you know that God wants you to do? You know that God wants you to pray. How is your prayer life? Let me ask it this way If you prayed, if you breathed as often as you pray, would you be alive? You know God wants you to be in the Word every day not nodding your head at it, not reading by some scheme of three verses a day, but feasting on the riches of His Word. If you ate as often as you feast on God's Word, would you be alive? Well, then maybe that's why you're not very lively spiritually. What do you know that God wants you to do that you're not doing? All right, Galatians 6, the first six verses. Remember at each of the points of this message, here is a question really that Paul is asking in a roundabout way and you will go no higher than you already are spiritually until you become obedient as you progress through each level of maturity. And what is the first thing that he mentions having discussed just previous the fruit of the Spirit? The first thing that he mentions in this progression in grace is this. Verses 1 and 2, mutual concern. Now, the issue here is a love for each other that goes beyond self-interest. If you love those who love you, the Lord Jesus said, you know better than the heathen who do not know God, for even they... Love those who return their love. And if you ever quit loving anybody, you never started to love them in the first place. The issue here is a love that goes beyond self-interest to forgiveness of another's faults. Verses 1 and 2. If you find a brother in a fault, restore him with a spirit of meekness. Not arrogance, meekness considering yourself lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need each other. We need each other. We balance each other out in our lives, in the church. We balance each other out. The way the body needs only ten fingers and ten toes, it needs only two arms and two legs, it just needs so much of everything, and God Almighty in His sovereignty sees that the body fits together the way it ought to. So it is in the church. We balance each other's strengths, we balance each other's weakness. Two feet are no good without two hands on a body. A person without legs is helpless, a person without arms is helpless. To a great extent. And so is the body of Christ, the church. One individual is not better than another, just different. Not superior. We're just not all alike. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad, really? If two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. And God has seen to it that that will never happen. We balance each other's strengths and weakness. Now, a point needs to be made here. Forgiveness does not always eliminate the consequences of our sins. Now, does that make sense? There are some misguided Christians who think we ought to greatly liberalize or even do away with punishment of crime because it is ungodly and unloving to punish crime. Now let me ask you this, you parents is there any such thing as love without discipline? Is there? I don't think so. And forgiveness of sin does not always remove the consequences of sin. That is why at one in the same time, hear me very closely at one in the same time we forgive each other but we cannot always ignore the wrong that is done so that the consequences are not carried out. An example from the Bible. Numbers chapter 6:14, excuse me, Numbers 14. You do well to turn there and note this in your notes so that you can go back and examine it carefully for yourself. Now the situation is this. God has brought Israel out of Egypt by signs and wonders. He has dried up the Red Sea in front of them. He has drowned their enemies behind them. He has protected them at day with a cool pillar of cloud. He has protected them at night by a pillar of fire that kept the wild animals of the wilderness away. He has brought them to the brink of the promised land and now they have refused to go into Canaan. And God says to Moses, You just get out of my way. I'm going to wipe Israel out and I'm going to start all over again with you. And Moses said, No, Lord, don't do that. Forgive their sin. Now that's where we are. And I'm going to read Numbers 14, 20 to 23. And the Lord said, I have pardoned. That's forgiveness. That's I have pardoned according to your word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men who have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice... Verse 23, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Here is an instance when God Himself said, I forgive, but they must bear the consequences of their sins. And beloved friends, it is no different in the church than it is in the home. There is no such thing as love without discipline. No such thing as love without discipline. And if in the church discipline is required and you in the name of love oppose discipline, then you really do not love the individual. Love demands discipline. And God will take you no higher, remember, than you are until your concern for others transcends your self-interest and until there is love and forgiveness. Then in verse 3, God will take you no higher until and unless you obey Him in the matter of pride. In the matter of pride. What does He say? If a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This involves awareness of the true nature of man. This involves an awareness of what I am apart from Jesus Christ. No man is worth anything apart from Jesus. There isn't anything in us that's good except Jesus. Paul said in Romans seven eighteen, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. And we can never truly begin to grow toward Christian maturity until pride has come to die in our lives. Serious commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is always accompanied by the realization of how feeble and expendable and ungodly we really are without Christ. So God will never take you any higher until you obey Him in the matter of forgiveness. Until you obey Him in the matter of pride. For Scripture says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs says he who hardens his neck against correction will be suddenly and swiftly cut off. And that without remedy." God takes the matter of pride very seriously. And you will, at the very least, you will never go any higher spiritually until you deal with your pride. And then in verse 4, the issue here is discipline. It's a dirty word to most of us. For the last thing we want to do truly is to be disciplined in any area of life. He says in verse 4, But let a man establish his own work and then he'll have cause to rejoice in what God's doing in him and not merely in what he's doing for somebody else. I can relate to this very easily. For my Christian life for so long was just up and down and the ups were usually related to being associated with an outstanding Christian. But when I was deprived of the influence of that stronger Christian, I went on the downslide again. Now I surmise by reading this book that people in Paul's day, in this church to whom he wrote, had the same problem. You see, God has never done anything for anybody that He won't do for you. And I mean that literally, and it is a statement from the heart of Scripture. God has no favorites. Do you think of someone whom you greatly admire? God hasn't done anything for them that He won't do for you. You'll be different than they are. You won't be like them. Your Christian life won't be the same as theirs, but God has never blessed anybody more than He will bless you if you ask Him to do it. Establish your own life. When you are tapped into another Christian, you're not growing. Perhaps you're just shielded from temptation or from struggle by your nearness to that person. But when you're left alone, it's going to be the same story all over again. But establish your own work, your own ministry, your own Christian life, and begin to rejoice that God is working in you the same way He is in them. And it requires discipline to grow. Many of you may tend to say, well, if that's the truth, then I'm sunk. Because I'm not a very disciplined person. But do you remember that the Christian life is the life of Jesus Christ lived out through you? And Jesus is the most disciplined man that ever lived. And where you are undisciplined as you surrender control of your life to God, He will bring order out of the chaos and discipline will be seen in you and through you as Jesus lives out His life through you. You will never go any higher as a Christian until you obey God in the matter of discipline. Often, I have known people... Through the years around the country Who talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit And yet they did not meet their responsibilities And yet they were not reliable at all And they were up and down at all times They were unstable Is the Holy Spirit like that? No, the Holy Spirit is God And so when we say we are filled and our lives are a wreck, it proves that we're not. And God will never show you anything new or take you any higher spiritually until you obey Him in the matter of discipline. And then notice in verse 5, God will never take you any higher spiritually Until you obey him in the matter of consistency. Now, I distinguish between discipline and consistency in this area. We know what we ought to be doing. Many of you in this room are involved in the teaching ministry of this church. Many of you are involved in ministry as deacons in this church. Many of you who have no formal position have opportunity regularly to counsel other Christians, to help them. People talk to you, whether it's your children or a friend, and you're very good at telling them what they ought to do, but you're very bad at living the way you tell them to live. The Bible says to him who knows to do good and does it not, it is sin. God will never take you any higher until you obey Him in the matter of consistency. So that you will not be a drag on others. But that you will learn to handle yourself and in turn reach out to others as somebody one day reached out to you. You see, that's the whole goal of the Christian life. The goal of God in the way He has chosen to approach His work in our world is that He reproduced Jesus in you and that the life of Jesus reach out and touch through you the death of another person, and that death turns to life, and Jesus reproduces Himself in that person who reaches out to another who is dead and brings them to life as Jesus lives through them. God has no grandchildren. Christianity is one generation away from extinction. And if you're not a productive Christian handling your own life and reaching out to others, then you're like cancer on the work of God in this world. There is one goal of the Christian life, and that is to glorify Jesus. And there is one result when Jesus is truly glorified, and that is conversion. God will never take you any higher than you are spiritually until you obey Him in the matter of consistent Christian living. And then in verse 6, here is a principle that is variously stated throughout the Bible over and over and over again. "'Let him who is taught in the Word communicate unto him who teaches in all good things.'" Peter says it this way, Let him who preaches the gospel live by the gospel. The Old Testament says it this way, The tithe is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. How will a man rob God? You have robbed me, he says, in tithes and offerings. Now bring all the tithe into the storehouse, the storehouse. And I will say right here, free of charge, If this church is not worthy of your money, it's not worthy of your life. And besides that, if I was going to steal from somebody, I don't think I'd pick on God. You see, the key to it is, whose money is it? Scripture says the tithe is the Lord's, and if it's His, He tells us what to do with it. He does not say, take your tithe anywhere you think it will do the most good. He says, bring it into the storehouse. The storehouse. That's where your life is invested, friends. If you want to give an offering to God's work, that offering is beyond the tithe. The tithe is the Lord's. And if he doesn't get it every week, Paul says, every week let every one of you bring to the church as God has prospered him, then you're a thief. And if you did that to your employer, you'd be in prison. I didn't say it. I don't have to defend it. The Bible says it. Nobody has to like it, but it's still the truth. And if the church is not worthy of your money, it's not worthy of your life. You better find one that is. What is the last matter of Christian maturity? It is free, generous, and liberal support of God's work. Free, generous, and liberal support of God's work. Things were much simpler in the day of Paul than they are today. There were no utility bills. There was no mortgage. There was no building. The only money drain there was on the church was the staff and missions. And so Paul relates it to something that they can understand. He relates it to the money needs of the church, which is... Uh, of their church which was to take care of the needs of the ones who ministered among them but make no mistake about it you can never Okay, you tell me is there ever a time when you can serve God by disobeying God anybody think of one You see, it's you and I who write the exceptions to Scripture because God never said anything He didn't mean. And God, you know, if God said it, that's just the way it is. There aren't any exceptions to it. You will never go to the fullness of Christian living unless you obey God in the matter of generous and liberal support of His work. Here is a pattern. A pattern that is confirmed throughout Scripture. And that is that we grow, that we progress like the branch which draws its life from the vine. Like the seed which is planted in the ground there to lose its life that it might reproduce. Like the Holy Spirit which produces in us and through our lives the blessed fruit of the Spirit which is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Here is a fact of life. You will never go any higher than you are today spiritually until you obey God in the matter of forgiveness and concern for others. When you have reached that level you will never go any higher than you are then until you obey God in the matter of pride. When you have reached that level, you will never go any higher than you are then until you obey God in the matter of a disciplined Christian life. And when you have become disciplined, you will never go deeper than that spiritually until you become consistent day by day. And having become consistent... You are now mature in many ways, but you will never go on to the fullness of maturity until you obey God in the matter of generous, selfless support of His work. Progression in grace. Every one of us is at some level that Paul has mentioned. Perhaps you're at that level where you need to reach level number one through forgiveness through laying down bitterness. You will never go any higher than you are until you do. Maturity in the Christian life is not measured by a number of years since you were saved. There are many Christians who are decades old in the Lord who are babies in every way. And their lives demonstrate it. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Verse 12. We'll do for our purpose. For when at a time you ought to be teachers... You have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the articles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. When you react to God's word, you demonstrate that you have no spirituality. And by the way, if you were to see a pack of dogs in your front yard, Or let's make it cats, because they're nicer than dogs. And you threw a rock at those cats, which one's going to speak up? The one you hit. Right? That's the way the Word of God is. When you react to the Word of God, you've been hit. And your reaction is not going to change what it says. Progression in grace You will never go any higher until you obey Him and do what you know He wants you to do. May we pray. Father in heaven, we're not always comforted by Your Word, for it's just like a mirror. And it doesn't change anything that's there, it just shows us the truth. Now, Lord, we all stand indicted because all we like sheep have gone astray. It is a high moment for any man whose sheep have gone astray.